this is Alicia from Call for Combat Reform, and uh, I'm just going to go right into part two um, of kind of going through this article, um, providing my own commentary. Um, uh, if you have not listened to part one, um, I definitely recommend doing that um, because I'm just going to kind of go right into it. So we are looking at um, an article from Crux that was published on February 7th, 2022. The article's name is uh, Religious Vow of Obedience Needs to be Redefined, Theologian Says. The article is by Elise Ann Allen. Um, and it's kind of what well, it is. It's based off uh, comments of Pope Francis, which I, which I talked about uh, in part one. And the rest of the article is talking to a Peruvian theologian, a woman named Rocio Figueroa. I am butchering her name and I apologize for that. Um, so in part one, I wasn't able to get through the whole article. I've been just kind of reading through it and providing some of my own experience and opinions. Um, so we're going to kind of just continue on. So um, there are there are point, parts of this article. Um, we're into redefining obedience. And um, I, I think uh, what she says here is very true. So um, it says for Figueroa, again, I hope I'm saying her name right. The heart of the problem is, quote, the sacralization of obedience, of authority. It can be unhealthy, um, end quote. So that is so true. <laughs> um, when I was a religious, I was told that, um, you know, first of all, obedience was number one. Uh, it really came before uh, chastity, poverty, it was considered uh, the number one thing um, that made you a good religious was how quickly, how completely you obeyed. And I was told that uh, your obedience, um, how well you obeyed, um, you know, in response to what your superior told you, um, was in direct correlation to how much grace you got for that obedience. So, um, for example, um, now keep in mind, I was on pins and needles most of the time I was in religious life. Um, so I wasn't always as sharp as I was because I was just, um, uh, I never, I was always very anxious and I, I, because of that, I wasn't as attentive as I would probably be normally. And uh, I remember one instance where I was told by my novice mistress to go pick flowers for the chapel, um, to go outside and pick flowers. And I was supposed to pick a particular flower. And, you know, um, I th thought I was doing everything okay. Um, I was supposed to do it with a... Uh, with uh, another novice that was there at the time so we went outside and got all these flowers and uh we came back inside and 
I mean, it was always, it was almost characteristic that um, no matter what was told to you um, and how you did it, there is always something wrong. <laughs> there was, there was, they're never happy. Um, so I can't even remember. We came back inside and we have this cart full of flowers and we were told, um, and at that time my, you know, my novice mistress could either be really, uh, mean, angry, nasty, or she could try to restrain that and try to be somewhat calm. And at this time she's trying to be somewhat calm. And she told us, you know, we had done that wrong, that we were supposed to do this instead. Um, and that we should have listened a little better. Um, <laughs> you know, it was never just as easy as go get the, go get some flowers for the chapel, make it look pretty. Um, and you're good. It was never that easy. It was, there's only these, you know, uh, these, uh, things you had to jump through. And, um, so it, it made it very tense. And I know other people that have been in this situation, because, um, you know, and this is where a lot of gaslighting can come in because you're told to do something and you do it and then you're told that you didn't do it well. And, you know, then they start kind of messing with judging you. And I know in my experience, they said things, well, you're not doing this right because, you you know, you're really not, uh, you really don't want to be obedient and all this other stuff can kind of creep in. So. Um, there is definitely, definitely a sacralization of obedience and, um, it's sad because, uh, as she goes on, she's going to talk about how your obedience should really be to God, not to some crazy, you know, superior who just wants to make your life a living hell. Uh, so. She goes on to say, um, um, and I'm going to continue reading here. The reason for this, she said, is that while superiors are said to represent God, not all of them do. What? <laughs> Such a foreign aspect, right? Uh, continuing on, if because if they have an abusive superior, they aren't representing God. Authorities do not represent God. They represent God if they are good ones. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty, 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 uh, clear cut. Right. And that, that isn't what you're told in religious life. You're told, oh, well, sister or mother, um, so-and-so is superior. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, I've told you before my novice mistress, she just like she almost likes to make people's lives miserable. I think she was miserable and she wanted to make everyone else miserable. And um, so she just, you know, she was never happy with anything. She really didn't like me. So she really wasn't happy with anything I ever did. And um, she she was just angry. She kind of she would judge me. You know, she wasn't she wasn't even a good person. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, some of the worst people I've ever met in my life have been in convents. Um, and I'm talking about the whole array of humanity I've ever met in my life. Um, 
I mean, I, there are people that are not even religious that I see God in them more and God's mercy and God's love more in them than I ever did any religious, um, which is really sad to say, but it's the truth. And um, if you are a religious superior and you are just trying to make people's lives miserable because your life is miserable, which happens all the time, and we have talked about that on here, then you're not representing God. You're representing yourself and your own wants and your own needs, and you're twisting this authority that has been given to you to really help others um, to really uh, just serve yourself. Um, so she goes on to say in this article, why do we not say every parent represents God? Because it depends on what parents you have. It's the same thing as the authority. Not every authority represents God, she said, insisting that this is why the vow of obedience has to be to God, not to a superior. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, God, parents have a God-given authority that's in the catechism. You can look it up. Um, but that does not mean that um, every parent that has this God-given authority over their child is representing God. We know that there are parents that do atrocious things to their children, um, whether it be abuse or neglect or whatever. Um, they are not representing God and his authority um, just because they, they have been given this authority, right? Um, it, it makes it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, and again, they say the vow of obedience has to be to God, not to a superior. Um, I, I would imagine that, you know, yes, you're supposed to be somewhat obedient to any superior and religious life because there has to be a hierarchy, right? But um, the vow of obedience should really be to God. When you make those vows, they're to God, not, not to a superior. Um, I know some religious orders, you, you hold the, the superior's hands. Um, oh, I didn't do that. Um, but uh, th those are, those are vow. you know, you, you, you go into religious life to be closer to God, to, uh, to be closer to Christ, not to be closer to your superior. Your superior is a human person. So, um, she goes on to, to affirm that this vow of being should be to God. Um, and she says, uh, quote, I'm not saying we don't need an authority who coordinates community life. Of course, we need someone to co coordinate. But it's not that I am obeying her or him thinking that's because they represent God. It's just because it's necessary in a job. You have to obey your boss, not because you think it's his or her, de her decision comes from God. You have to obey f for the organization and the well-being of the group, she says. Um, I remember when I came home and I talked to a priest friend and told him my story. And I remember him telling me, you know, because I told him about the whole Vox Day thing. And like I mentioned in part one, 
And um, I was told I had a vocation by my superiors. And, and he said, I remember him kind of stopping me. He's like, they don't have authority to say you have a vocation. You know, that's not their job. Your vocation comes from God, not not from the superior. Um, so there's an example of that. Um, and then she goes on to say, it will perhaps be messier. There will be more discussions. But human society, it's a family. You talk things through, um, which is very true. Um, you, you have these people that have this ultimate authority, and we've talked about this before, where a lot of superiors have been in situations where they have been mistreated for years as subordinates. Um, they're they're pretty much pissed on for sometimes decades, and then they get authority, and then it's a big fat cycle where all of a sudden they, they find themselves with all this authority that they ha- have never had. And so they do exactly what their superiors before them did. It's like the cycle of like abusive parents. It's like the same thing with superiors. It's, it's weird. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if there were more, dis- I mean, I, I was never allowed to have a discussion with my superiors. If, um, I mean, it, it was so, it was so absurd that I, was told, you know, my superior, my, my, uh, mother general would say, you know, do you want to do this? And do you want to do this or this? And, um, I was told by my novice mistress that basically you're supposed to, you know, your, your test, she's like testing the waters and you're supposed to say, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know, you're not supposed to say, well, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, teach than be a nurse, or I'd rather, you know, um, uh, you know, go to this school and that school. You're not supposed to say that. You're just supposed to say, I'll do whatever you say, Mother Superior, or whatever. <laughs> um, and it, 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 it which is silly because, um, you know, your your humanity shouldn't be completely squashed um just because you're a religious um again a quote from uh figueroa for me any comment that you have to give up your thoughts your critical thinking and your will is unhealthy um uh, voicing, she's voicing her belief that this is one of the one of the problems contributing to the current crisis in religious life, and I think this is very true. Um, she goes on to say, um, "What young woman will say I have to annul myself? The path of religious life must be a path of fulfillment or of plentitude, of richness in which you feel empowered in your personality." She said, and. Again, she's just hitting right on the head because, um, you know, we've talked about this before where you, you know, and I, I uh, have a really good uh, former religious friend who says this all the time that you shouldn't have to um, pretty much take away your humanity uh, to, to be a good religious. And, and that's what a lot of uh, women in religious life feel like, you know, you, you turn into like a robot. You're not supposed to be able to feel or to have 
thoughts or feelings or things like that. Um, so she has some thoughts. She talks about, you know, um, at the, at the bottom, um, talking more about women having a voice and, um, what religious life looks like, how most women, how most, sorry, how most religious are women, um, they should have more of a say, um, and, uh, and, and kind of the church's, uh, you know, thinking about religious life and everything. Um, and she kind of ends by saying, uh, quote, it would be important to have more women to exercise authority in a woman's way because the problem now is that we have a lot of women who are exercising authority in a patriarchal way. And that has caused problems, she says, which I, I would agree. Um, she ends the end quote here is until we have another way of exercising authority, it will be very difficult. She said, we have to create a new model for exercising authority. Um, you know, I think, I think the best, um, source for looking at what authority should look like in the church is Jesus Christ himself, right? He never, um, <laughs> he never, you know, lorded it over other people. Um, he was always very humble. His whole authority was based on service. I mean, th this is, <laughs> this is Jesus Christ, right? He, he is, uh, God and man, um, Emmanuel, um, God among us. And, uh, he is the <laughs> authority. Um, he is God. And, Yet he still uh, respects humanity enough to, uh, you know, <laughs> have conversations with them, to have discussions with them, not to force people into, um, into a box. Sometimes, sometimes he wants them to think. You can see that in scripture, um, and, and you know. That is where your model of authority should come from, not, you know, this this morbid, you know, well, this saint did this in, you know, the 14th century, and this is how we've already always done it. It's, you know, what bull crap? It's, it doesn't matter what some saint and that, you know, whatever time period did or said or, you know, if it doesn't reflect the authority of Jesus Christ and his mercy and his love, um, then, <laughs> then it's not authentic authority. It's not healthy authority. Um, I mean, I never, I, when, when do you see in scripture Jesus gaslighting people or playing with their emotions or um, micromanaging every detail of their life? Do you ever see that in scripture? Because I don't. Um, so, um, I do think, and I, I think this is kind of hard to say because, you know, it's, 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 all of a sudden, it's, all of a sudden you sound like a progressive, right? Like, oh, well, we, we should rethink this. Like we should rethink, you know, women in the priesthood. And that's not what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, you know, uh, the church is always reforming itself 
you know, even that doesn't mean you have to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. There can be healthy reform. And I think part of that healthy reform would be to really consider authority in religious life and the boundaries that uh, authority figures should have and, you know, um, what is healthy and what's not. And, and really give, you know, women religious credit, um, you know, let them think for themselves. You know, I, 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 uh, I don't think this ideology of, well, we have to keep women religious, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the superiors in religious life. You know, they can't talk to their families because then they might want to run away or uh, they, they, you know, they can't talk to uh, spiritual authority outside of of um, the order because then they might be, um, uh, you know, tempted to, you know, join, leave the order or whatever. It doesn't matter. Let them, let them use their God-given intelligence to decide, which they use their God-given intelligence to decide to enter your order. <laughs> um, let them use it to decide if they want to stay, if, if they think this is right for them. Um, what what does it matter if they talk to their families and they decide it's not right for them? You know, um, I, I, I think that's why a lot of religious orders, unfortunately, crack down on communication um i i think it's used to uh, as a way to uh, manipulate people and um control them and i i'm the more i consider these things the more i think that this whole idea of barring religious from their families um from communicating with their families uh it, it it is ridiculous you know you don't have to have a phone but why can't they write letters regularly um if they're not using a phone if they are using a phone why can't they you know call regularly you know sometimes they can only call like once a year why it's just it's just silly um you know, I don't know. Um, so anyway, those are my thoughts. Um, again, I really appreciate this Crux article. Um, I really appreciate the thoughts of the uh, woman theolo- theologian whose name I couldn't say. <laughs> um, I, I, I uh, you know, I'm glad Pope Francis said something about this. Uh, it is kind of disappointing that he just made this as like a feminist kind of thing where uh, just pointing the finger at uh, male authority figures, which is part of the problem, but it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, so, but at least he's talking about it, I guess. I, I guess you have to take the, the good with the bad. So um, thank you for joining me in this discussion. Um, please continue to pray for those who are in religious life, who are discerning religious life, Please pray for a reform of religious life and uh, please especially pray for those who 
have been in religious life and who were abused and are um, trying to heal. And um, there, there are quite a few of those people. So um, thank you again. Um, God bless you and uh, God bless your Lent. Bye.